Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast. Featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. I am here with John Hughes, the coach who is a brand ambassador for Jersey Mike Subs. As you can see, I'm a fan of Jersey Mike Subs. I have okay. I, John, John, I'm a card-carrying member, as you know this, but welcome to the podcast. Oh, man, thank you very much. It's an honor. Seriously, seriously, yeah. Well, well, it is for me as well, because uh, we had met each other a couple years ago. And, uh, you know, I love the story of Jersey Mike's. And I, I guess I want to start there, because as you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast, uh, certainly a lot in the fire service. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of people in leadership positions and management positions. There's a lot of coaches. Yeah. And and that's one of the reasons why I love Peter Cancro's story and the story of Jersey Mike's. And maybe you can tell our listeners how it all started. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty unique American story, obviously, uh, 17 years old. Well, first of all, Peter, uh, Point Pleasant Beach High School, uh, local athlete, uh, good good student, had opportunities to uh, play at a higher level after high school in for football and then also academia, academics as well. But his, um, he worked started working at Mike Subs um, when he was a freshman in high school, worked through high school. And then um, his senior year in high school, a uh, he had heard actually through his mom, which is a great story if you listen to a little bit about it. His mom had heard through the grapevine, a little small town, that the owners were going to sell the store. And, uh, you know, Peter was a little surprised and conversation went on. But he loves to tell the stories as he's going up the stairs to his room. His mom says, why don't you buy it? You know, Peter hadn't even thought of that as, as an option. And he said as he went up the stairs and thought on he said, you know, why not? And, um, you know, he, uh, he, the next day he, he went back and started talking to different, um, you know, people that he wanted to maybe borrow money from or, you know, and it seemed that everybody at to a point was interested or those who were interested, but they wanted to be partners with them. And at 17 years old, he had enough gumption to say, no, I want to do this myself. And, uh, you know, at that 11th hour, so to speak, uh, you know, in the movie, if there's ever a movie about him, it's going to be real dramatic, right? But the 11th hour, he goes to his coach's house, his, uh, his Pop Warner coach's house, uh, Rod Smith, who happened to be uh, president of a local bank here in Point Pleasant, knocks on the door at 8 o'clock at night. Um, and uh, the, Mrs. Smith opens the door. And, and as Peter loves to tell the story, was a little nervous. Here's this high school student and player showing up at their front door at eight o'clock on a Sunday night. So you can imagine maybe the concern, but uh, they, you know, let him in and Peter sat down and said, uh, you know, this is what he wants to do. And as Rod Smith tells the story, uh, and I love to tell the story as well, that, um, you know, he, he ended up giving Peter a $125,000 loan, which is equivalent to whatever today, which is crazy. Un you know, 17 years old, not even old enough to slice. Um, you know, his parents actually were the, the, had the loan first, but when he turned 18, Peter ended up assuming the loan. But um, the coach said that, you know, he knew Peter and he knew Peter could get it over the line, uh, meaning 
you know, just being able to, uh, you know, not just make the commitment, but get it done. And, uh, you know, that, that itself it too. And when you, when you think on it, I always tell the franchisees and managers and leadership of the, of the company that it really wasn't Mike's that so much Mr. Smith or coach Smith was investing in. It was Peter. And I always believe that if we were doing landscaping, if we were painting, if we were going to be doing whatever that, uh, I think Peter would have got the loan regardless. And it had a lot to do with Peter's character. Um, how he carried himself in the community, how he treated other people, you know. So at that young of an age, you know, Peter was this, you know, anomaly that, uh, you know, Coach Smith recognized. He had the it factor. And then this, you know, at 17 years old, he, he barely, you know, he's missing some classes. He ends up graduating and then working. Um, and then the rest of it, uh, 1985 and 86, we franchised, we turned into – uh, Jersey Mike's from Mike's to Jersey Mike's opened our second store in uh, 87 and then we're almost at 2000 stores uh, at this point 40 years later it's crazy I, I can't I'm smiling just thinking tell the recounting the story because it sounds made up almost well and it's so amazing I mean you're doing I think a billion annually our sales at this point as a company um, we could be up around that two billion dollar mark uh, COVID you know, everything horrible about it, but it's one thing for us as a brand. It's it's a product that fits really well, and everybody, uh, it travels well. So we've been blessed with uh, sales that we've never seen before. Um, while other people aren't doing well, we don't certainly gloat on that at all. But, yeah, pushing 2 million and pushing 2,000 stores as of, uh, you know, the next potential six months or so. Incredible. I, I love so many things about the story. First of all, I love being a coach myself. I love that his coach gave him that loan. You yeah. know, it's it's funny because one of a one of my parents recently asked me could, their son was thinking about coming over to our team, our travel team, and and she says, you know, I'm just I want to just know that my son's going to be successful. I said, well, I won't know if your son's going to be successful until 20 years down the line, because you know we're we're not just trying to win games; we're trying to develop them to be successful in life in general. And yeah. here's a coach that put his money where his mouth was. I love that story. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, what's interesting also is, as you know, I do a lot of traveling mm -hmm. and I do a lot of public speaking throughout the country. There is a Jersey Mike's everywhere I go now, yeah. everywhere I go. And it's funny being a Jersey boy, when they cater the seminars, they're usually like, hey, we catered from Jersey Mike's because we figured you'd like that. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> listen, I love Jersey Mike's. I'm there all the time. Yeah. I did notice, by the way, during the pandemic, that your business was doing well because I had texted, as you know, I know a couple of the owners and I yeah. texted to ask how business was. And they said, it's been great. And that's good. I'm happy for you. One of the things I love about the culture of Jersey Mike's is, is the whole concept of putting others first. Right. So as a, as a manager or a, a franchisee, and I believe Peter doesn't call them franchisees, he calls them owners. Right. But as an as an owner of a franchise of Jersey Mike's, it's about putting the customers first and it's about putting your workers first. And he puts them first. You yeah. want to talk a little bit about that, about how, how he develops that culture and how you guys develop that culture? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it, um, you know, is in thinking about what, you know, the conversation we're going to have today. Peter always says, you know, we're successful now 40 years later. And what did it take for us to go from, 
500 stores or 250 stores to 500 and 500 to 1,000, 1,000 to 2,000 in a very short period of time. I mean, we'll go from 1,000 to 2,000 in maybe five years. Um, how do we do that? And I think it's really, it comes down to a point in our, our company where we made a very conscious decision of um, who we were going to award a franchise to rather than sell a franchise. Um, we're not really about um, building stores as we are about building the crew and then the stores will follow, if that makes sense. So we're not a brand that's motivated by units or uh, average transactions or things like that. It's really about, about people. And what we did probably 10, maybe 12 years ago was um, we were very, very selective with our franchisees. To give you an idea, think about where we are as a brand and how successful we are and all the accolades have been we've received in the last couple of years in particular. Less than 1% of the people that actually apply to buy a franchise are awarded a franchise. Mm -hmm. So if we were a sales company, think about how many people are lining up trying to buy stores today. And less than 1% of those people are, again, I use the word awarded because we don't like to sell stores. And just in that selection process and not making a quick sale to make money, we really are protecting our existing franchisees' best interest by making sure we make the right choices, but then we're also protecting the incoming potential franchisees because we don't, just don't want to sell to anybody just, you know, because it's just for the sake of a sale. Right. Um, so I think, you know, in, in that, in that way, we, um, you know, we really became very selective. I mean, every, every company says they're selective, but our selectiveness wasn't really about a portfolio or, uh, you know, financial backing. Um, we want to know, is this, is the owner franchisee going to be in the store wearing an apron? You know, definitely the first store. Are they going to be involved in the community, not just by writing a check, because anybody can write a check, but are you going to be involved physically, sweat equity in the community? Um, and a franchisee can communicate that commitment. You know, they, they move along the process a lot quicker than if you're just saying, here, I'm going to buy five stores, here's a ton of money, and I'm going to hire a bunch of managers we pass on that guy pretty quickly. You know, and, and I, I like how you said that you actually contacted me a while back and had me come in and work with some of the general managers. Yeah. And what you didn't know I was doing, nor did the owners at the time as I was going around, because I eat at Jersey Mike's all the time, but yeah. I'm going around to Jersey Mike's now. And now I'm paying attention to how your general managers and how your workers deal with people. Right. And I was very impressed. Because it was, there was really great communication. It They seemed like they were generally interested in me, not just making me a sandwich. Yeah. And and I would ask questions. I, you know, I remember one guy saying, what can I get you? And I, and I said, I don't know. I'm thinking about, about a steak. I usually get number two Mike's way, but I'm thinking about getting one of your cheese steaks. Okay. He's like, you never tried them? I said, no. And he's talking me through, well, we could do this and I'll do this. And how about I do this? And uh, I thought, well, you know, it's really great because they make you feel welcome. My two young ones went in with me just last week and they're wearing their baseball stuff. They come for practice and the manager who I've never met this one before. Right. Yeah. But this general manager says, uh, you guys coming back from baseball? They're like, yeah. Oh, who do you play for? Yeah. You like baseball? He starts talking. He says, listen, as soon as you turn certain age, come, come here, come on over here. I have a job for you. And, and we just had a great time and he doesn't even know 
yeah my connection with you guys which yeah. was funny well it's and, funny you know what it's again um people come to you because of your culture people also come to you for what they think um you can offer them but a lot of times they want it for free and we're not going to just say here you go here's a store and then we're going to make you money no we'll say here's a store you got to work it and the store will then hopefully make you money but you know that just that one little story about how that manager actually paid attention is we say you know if you want to find good people you got to go get them first not steal them but recruit them because we don't want to go in and poach people but by having a little conversation with two young kids that are playing baseball, knowing that they're probably athletes, you know, probably watching the way they walk into the store, watching how they make eye contact with the other people in the restaurant, watching how they respect you as a father, watching how they, you know, make eye contact with us. You can take 25 kids wearing baseball uniforms and you can pick two of them out. And, and at 12, 13, 10 years old, you know, that's what we do. And that's what Peter did when, you know, when this little sub shop in Point Beach, thousand square foot store, he didn't have to now hiring. It wasn't, you didn't come here looking for a job. He, he went after you. If you were nine, 10 years old and you were in the store and you had it, if there was something about you, the way you walked, your shoulders were back, you made eye contact with a pleasant smile. He was giving you an application at 10 and saying, you know, who are you? Which, which, where are you? You know, find out where this kid lives. And we would, track you down <laughs> you know what else shows about that is i do know that when you open up a new sub shop in a new market it's usually the reader's choice awards and you're voted best sub and it kind of kind of grows organically there because it's not just great customer service it's just a great product i mean they are the best subs yeah uh, they're they're wonderful but I want to share this with you also because we're talking a little bit about how he recruits people. Mm -hmm. And I actually read, uh, I have it in front of me, um, Keith Hurtling's book, Life Lessons also. Yeah. And, um, you know, great book. Uh, I had the opportunity to, to meet Keith, who you work with as well. And he talks about um, leaders need to possess the following qualities. And the list is encouragement, compassion, listening, inspiration, integrity, discipline, love, and humility. I love those last two. You don't always see them on a list of qualities that you want to see from leaders. Right. But when you're you're putting love and humility on there, you're saying you understand it. You understand it's about people. It's about connections. It's about relationships. Yeah. And he said three things that every coach must learn to say is, I'm sorry. That was my mistake. And thank you. Mm. I see this a lot. I think your, your staff is well-trained. Your culture is fantastic. Um, let me ask you, um, first of all, how how you became associated as the brand ambassador for Jersey Mike's. Was it your uh, friendship with Peter Janome when, when you guys were, were younger, or did this happen later? Yeah, I think um, in a small town like Point Beach, it's, it's, uh, it's family. You know, I mean, I, I think everybody talks about that. But Point Beach, I'm just going to brag on it a little bit, right? Um maybe a thousand, I mean, a, a, a hundred kids per class in high school. So when we were younger, we always looked up to the guys, not two, three years ahead of you, but five and 10 years. So Peter and Keith were actually guys about uh, nine, 10 years older than I was. So I always knew who Peter was. And um, in high school, I uh, ended up working at a place called Hoffman's Ice Cream, which- I know, uh, I know it very well. Yeah, that Peter uh, speaks of. Mr. Hoffman, actually, uh, two years ago, he became- um, 
we named him as a scholarship for our high school. And uh, I was fortunate enough to work for Mr. Hoffman for four years, which is an incredible culture right there. And then um, I went away to college to run, um, and I just wasn't an academic, you know, guy. And I came back home and was just working part-time, and I got a job here at Mike's when I went to junior college. And in 1984, that's when I started, May of 84. And uh, Peter came back um, probably maybe the end of 85, beginning of 86, and asked me what I was going to do. Am I going to go back to school and not go back to school? I didn't want to go back to school. I had an opportunity to go back. And he said, well, I'm going to do this franchising thing. You know, why don't you stick around? So uh, I was like, okay, I don't want to go to school. Went to my parents, said this is what I want to do. Um, they were okay with it. And I started, you know, just kind of working in the store. And then we opened our second store. I managed one and a gentleman by the name Mike Manzo ran the other one. And then I became the trainer and Mike became the guy who built the stores and did all the product. And we did that for the probably first 10 stores. And then, um, as we went to 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 to 50, I was the director of training, director of operations. I wrote a lot of the training material. Um, that's where I kind of did most of my learning. I mean, we didn't, I wrote the operations manual. I wrote the training material, but a lot of it was because we had to. So yeah. a lot of my learning, um, became from that. And then, um, fast forward probably till 10 years ago or so, um, uh, maybe a little less. We got to a point where we had a lot of younger guys and a lot of other guys on the team. And I was actually, you know, kind of a little burnt out on the training thing where I didn't want to do emails. I didn't want to track hours. I was going through that part of my life. And, uh, Peter and another gentleman had this idea of why don't we have you become kind of the brand ambassador? And, uh, I was like, wow, it sounds pretty official. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't get any preferred parking or anything, but, uh, I was like, okay, yeah. And it, what it did, it would segue me into the opportunity to focus in on culture, teaching, coaching, learning styles, leadership, uh, which, you know, I've been listening to Zig Ziglar and, and Earl Nightingale since, you know, the mid eighties. So I was like, uh, let me loose. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was like being reborn, really kind of a, se a second career within a career. And uh, I was made for this part of it. Um, and so that's kind of the evolution. It's almost been 40 years now. And um, what I'm really teaching now isn't so much the operations, but the, uh, the leadership, the culture, the teaching, coaching, the learning styles, um, and teaching people how to teach, to teach others to teach, to teach others to teach. Right. And keep that sm snowball going. But my dad was, um, you know, the coaching thing, and, and I don't want to run off or go on tangents with you, but uh, no, please do. I'm, I'm a son of a of a coach, high school coach and athletic director. He was an athletic director of a Shore Regional High School, and a coach up there. Everywhere I went, and he coached basketball. Uh, I was a little kid, you know, crawling around the court chasing the ball back in the day. And everywhere we went, it was coaches, coaches, and you know, I tell a lot of people that uh, you know I was fortunate enough to have a father in my life. I see a lot of these managers that I train that don't have father figures, don't have mentors. So I don't take that for granted. My dad's now passed. And um, so the nickname coach kind of took a, uh, an early, you know, foothold 25 years ago. 
and I was kind of living in my dad's legacy and carrying on the tradition of him, but then also carrying on the tradition of coaching. And um, that's kind of really, and my mom was a teacher, a music teacher. And so it's just in my blood. Yeah. And teaching and coaching and being a student of teaching, uh, you know, that's the, the best coaches are the ones that are the ones who are the best learners, right? They got to be hungry for it. Um, you know, and that's kind of really very short synopsis of 40 years of my career, but <laughs> kind of that's where I ended up. And uh, it's awesome. I'm blessed. Yeah, it seems like a great journey. I like I like that you started at Hoffman's, you know, for people that don't know that aren't from this area. Yeah, because uh, I'm not too far from you. I grew up coming down to Bricktown when I was younger. And there was always several times throughout the summer, we would go get ice cream at Hoffman's. And you know, this is a drive for us. And there's thousands of places to get ice cream on a Jersey Shore. Yeah. But you, you'd go there because it's fantastic ice cream. And you'd you're fine waiting in line 30 minutes to get your ice cream. You have no problem with that because it's that good and that good of a culture. And the fact that you had that experience to work there, to draw yeah. from that when you came to Jersey Mike's is pretty cool. Two fantastic uh, cultures, as you mentioned. But you know um, what, I, I think of that, I think on that now in retrospect, you know, what was it that I was able to work at both of those places? Because not a lot of people were able to do that. And I'm not trying to be, you know, arrogant about it, but I, I'm like, wonder what, what was it that Mr. Hoffman saw in me? What was it that Peter saw in me? And it really kind of goes to what I tell everybody else is, and you're alluding to, it's not even so much the ice cream, which is awesome. And it's not even so much the sub, which is awesome because anybody can copy those. You can, you can copy, I always tell people, you can copy a Jersey Mike's down to the nail in the wall. But the one thing that Mr. Hoffman did and the one thing that Peter did and that, that I talk about more than anything else I talk about is um, who they decided to give, in Jersey Mike's case, the blue apron to. We wear a blue apron. And whenever whatever issues you're dealing with in, in a restaurant it comes down to the people that you you choose and select to give the blue apron to that's that's your you know your problem and that's what mr hoffman did and that's what uh peter did was they didn't have to mess with the product they just had to make sure the people that were making the product made it right but were more um people people than just submarine makers and ice cream scoopers recently and it's probably going back a few months actually but um peter had made the decision and you guys made the decision but you're retrofitting all your stores so you go and you talk to the owners it's going to be about seventy-five thousand dollars per unit yep. to retrofit and that's ultimately the owner's responsibility however you guys chose to make a 150 million dollar investment and to do all the retrofitting for your franchisees. Crazy. Uh, that must, uh, first of all, it's remarkable to do that. And I think that's the second time you did something like that yeah. with that. But um, but that's got to make your owners feel like this, this is a family. Like yeah. we have people that are looking out for us. And I'm sure that that appreciation um, is shown in one way, shape or form back to you guys because i know many of your owners i think the average owner owns what three or four franchises yeah, yeah right around that yep yep we got some guys bigger but that's right on yeah three four stores which is a lot of money i mean when you're retrofitting but you right. know to me what it does is when a franchisor or business owner 
you know, obviously they're making money, but turns that money right back into the business. And, and there's a little line that Peter always says, and I've heard over the years, you know, it's like, hey, as long as you, if I do my part, I'm just asking other people to do their part. And, you know, he's trying to grow our business, but he's also trying to grow their business. And it's the right way to invest in a, in a company, showing the franchisees that, you know, we're there for them, helping them and giving them the best opportunity to become successful. And they, look, I've been around for a long time. Uh, we've seen some good times, some bad times, some great times. And right now we have, uh, you know, from franchisee from top to bottom, we have some really amazing people, one. And then they're good business people too. And, uh, you know, they, they, they're following Peter's lead. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> and just for the listeners, uh, purpose, when we talk about retrofitting, we're talking about new tables, new yep. floors, countertops, wall graphics. Yeah. I'm curious what makes your franchise say, let's retrofit, let's, let's, move in this direction is it because you just found a style that you think fits the brand better or is it hey we have a bunch of people our stores have they seem like they have different character let's make them all seem more uni unified well yeah i mean the, that the the last part of that was actually what started the first retrofit was we had stores all over the country maybe 10 years ago or so a little more than 10 years ago and they all they all looked a little different and what Peter did was, in addition to being very selective on who we sold to at that point um, or awarded franchise to at that point, um, we recognized that we needed one look. We had a company called um, Planet Propaganda come in. And um, what they did at that point was they kind of unified the whole brand around what our brand manifesto, which I'll share with you. I'll send it to you. And it's, uh, it's amazing. It's on YouTube. Look up Jersey Mike's brand manifesto and you can see it. But at that point, we retrofitted all the stores and, um, you know, Peter's vision was when in doing that and looking at other brands, typically when done right, you see an uptick in sales system wide. And that happened in addition to Peter also putting additional monies into that 10 year ago retrofit. So a lot of our franchisees who had been through that first retrofit, um, maybe questioning it back then saw the benefits of it. And this new retrofit that we did here now, the last year and a half, um, had a huge support from the franchisees. The franchisees were backing it. They weren't really balking at it. And it wasn't even that Peter was, you know, uh, willing to pay for it. It was they recognized that a fresh look, um, an updated look, a more current look, uh, you know, because things get stale. And, you know, like you always want to paint a new bedroom or, new, or change your furniture in your living room around every couple of years. Well, the restaurant business is the same thing. So um, when we did the retrofits this year, um, you know, we're, st we're starting to see that bump up again. It's a little lost in the COVID thing because we didn't have, you know, pre-retrofit and post-retrofit. So when we filter out all the COVID sales and what's going on with that, I think we're going to see that our our store sales per unit with the retrofit has gone up. When I think back, I think you're the very first store that I actually went out and bought food from other than from a supermarket when, when COVID 
uh, initially hit because I remember driving down and I thought, oh, Jersey Mike's open. I pulled to the one on Fisher Boulevard. I go inside. You have the table set up in front of the counter. Yep. They had they had the plastic hanging down. I place my order. I go out. I'm like, they have a pretty nice system. I felt safe in yep. there. And I asked them. I actually called the owner of that one. and I called them up and said, uh, I just came out of your place. I mean, congratulations for being open. He goes, yeah, we're doing really well, thank yep. thankfully. And and uh, I was very grateful to see that. So good for you on that. Let's talk about this. Let's just say uh, I'm building a team. And I know that we have a good culture. Um, I sit down and I have this profile of a person I want. We talked about all that already. What kind of conversation do you have with a new team member? And let's just say you're a you you're an owner of one and you're bringing in uh, a couple of new workers, right? Did they sit down and they set expectations and say, this is what we want from you, how we want you to treat our customers? Uh, uh, or is it just, hey, we, you know, you went through the process already. Now let's just put you behind the counter. I love, I'm a visual learner. One of the things we do in, in my classes, we talk about learning styles. I have a son with autism. He's taught me a lot about that in, its, in itself. And I'm a visual learner, visual communicator. So I kind of talk in metaphors and analogies and I always say that, um, you know, the soil that you build your foundation on is your people. Because if you don't have good soil, good people, then who cares how the foundation is? It's going to crumble. Then you have your cornerstones of that foundation, which is what we would teach and, and say is your core values. And there's anywhere between four and maybe six core values. And then, then you, all the other little bricks, uh, you know, making up the walls around those cornerstones are your traits, your behaviors, your actions that you want to see people take. And, um, you know, when we hire people or interview people, what we recommend that the franchisee does is not take our core values, but their company's core values and interview off of those core values. Try to see as many of those core values, integrity, willingness to learn, servant leadership, things of that nature. Yeah. And in a young person, you're not going to see some of those things because they're, but you can nurture those. You see somebody who's in their 20s, 30s, or 40s, they should have a lot of those core values as part of their makeup. And, and then from there, we have our guiding, you know, guiding principles, traits, and behaviors. So the idea is, what are your core values? What are those traits and behaviors to support those core values? Interview off of those, train off of those, and then coach people out when they don't meet those core values. Um, the one franchisee that, that you did speak with, Matt and John, who you know pretty well, uh, those guys just give you an idea, you know, 25 stores, they're gonna get about another 25 stores they've been awarded. And the main reason is because is both of those guys as leaders and as men, um, they live by their core values. Uh, and, uh, you know, everything from, I'm reading a book about the Cubway recently, and then there's another book about a, a, a book called The Culture Engine, which is really good. And it just talks about how companies need guiding principles, but they have to live by them, not just throw them on a wall, put them on a t-shirt. Um, and really, that's what we, we tell franchisees first and foremost is you have to know exactly who you're looking for and then go get that person. And then once you identify what you're looking for, find out if you have it. If you don't have it, you got to go get it. Um, 
if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it does make sense. I like it. Uh, I wanted to also bring this up because I, I think this is great. It seems my take on Peter Cancro is he just loves to give back. Mm -hmm. And I know that you guys have the Rod Smith Award, Rod Smith being the coach who actually we mentioned earlier had loaned Peter the money to start his first franchise. Talk a little bit about that award and how it works. Yeah, there's a couple of things that happen. You know, a lot of the franchisees want to grow and, and they want to open stores and they want to have managers. And of course, a good franchisee is reluctant to have a manager leave them or, you know, go open up their own store. And that's not what the, the whole purpose is. But, you know, the idea is, is if you want to really propel a culture forward, what's better than growing from within? Uh, mm -hmm. and when we were looking at, uh, do we bring the franchisees in from the outside? Certainly we will, but, or do you take somebody that's indoctrinated and already believes in the culture and understands, you know, the, you know, the, the business itself, not just operations, but the culture of it. And, uh, you know, what Peter saw was a lot of young managers that were, you know, like him and didn't have the money and he said you know what i'm going to do is is uh why not give people who don't have the opportunity the opportunity so the whole idea of, of growing from within really started you know probably four or five years ago it's been talked about for many years but four or five years ago it really start start taking shape and uh and that's where the rod smith award came so a franchisee can nominate a manager, a manager can go to a franchisee and request an opportunity. Peter may be in a store one day and see somebody just, and, you know, he, he kind of has that, that, uh, you know, he's drawn to certain people and he may say, who's that guy or who's that gal? And um, they go through a process and um, we kind of have a panel, so to speak, that looks at these people's um, resumes and abilities and, I think he's awarded up to maybe five or six at this point, uh, but there's quite a few managers um, that are out there under consideration. So again, just paying it forward, giving people the opportunity that he was given at, at 17 years old, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I like that you try to bring them and are looking for some people that are within. This is something we talk about quite often in the fire service actually is um, a lot of organizations throughout the country. Sometimes when they're bringing in, new chief officers, they look elsewhere and they bring them in from elsewhere. And I heard one chief officer that had just got hired to work with that organization say, and, and his comment was, if when I'm done, they have to go outside to find an ex-chief officer, then I failed at my job because I want to develop my people that are right here. And I thought that's yeah. pretty powerful right there. Um, John, is there anything you'd like to share about uh, that we didn't talk about, about your beliefs or about the culture of Jersey Mike's or just building teams in general that you think our listeners might find useful? Yeah, I mean, I can't give you it. So for me, I always tell everybody, look, the playbook and using sports and coaching, the playbook has been written. Um, Peter Cancro, that's, he's, it's his offense, it's his defense, it's his style. Um, so we're not going to go bring a coach in that's going to want to change all that. So right away, you have to know that, you can't come in and, and redo the what we do. You can't make sandwiches different. You can't design the store the way you want it. You have to kind of want to buy into that playbook. 
And then we have the decor, we have the uniform, we have all that stuff. So really what's left? What's left is finding the people, recruiting, scouting the people that can run that style of offense. So with sports, I always say, you know, you're as an athlete and in business, you're an entrepreneur, but a golfer can't swim and a swimmer can't play basketball. Mm. Some can. And in business, you can own a Burger King or you can own a Morton Steakhouse, but that doesn't mean you can own a Jersey Mike's. So really being specific in that type of athlete uh, or that, that type of entrepreneur and, you know, making it and, and getting them to understand that we're in the people business. We just happen to sell subs. And if you make it about the people, um, you know, you, you're going to see the results. And what, what a lot of companies do is they, and I, and it's interesting, uh, Frank, that I, I talk to a lot of these managers and I ask them on Monday, my class, I go, how many of you guys work for other brands? And they all raise their hands. I say, how many of you guys, uh, you know, work with those other brands? And one reason you're not working for them is because, you know, they were forcing you or making you run a certain payroll or hitting a certain operational number. And they all raise their hands. And uh, I'll, we talk about how Jersey Mike's is in the people business where a lot of other brands are in the profit business. And if you just, it's, when I do this, sometimes it's funny to watch people look at me, but I'll kind of, I, I hope I don't lose them. I say, listen, most companies, when, when profits go down, where do they find, you know, more money? They go to the people piece. And then do those people who are still working here, are they more motivated? No. So what happens to sales? Sales goes down again. What happens to profits? Profits go down. So profit-driven companies are always going after the people first or the front line. And it, what we say is the key to the top line is the front line, which allows you to have a bottom line. And if you make it about the people, and if you have happy employees, happy team members, you're going to have happy customers. Happy team members, happy customers, happy owner. But when it's about just a happy owner, you're not going to have happy employees. So your front line is the key to your, your top line. And I, I don't, I don't look, I've been doing this a long time. I've been to tons of conferences. I listen to a lot of different people talk. And it just, honestly, I don't get it. I don't get why people put their hard-earned money into a good idea and a great product and then don't take their time to select the people that they're putting behind the counter. Well, so let me share this with you. I, I'm out. I, I will only tell you the state that's as much information as I'm giving you. I've never had a bad experience in a Jersey Mike's, but I went into a different sub shop one time in the state of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And I know they're not all like this, but, but it's just so happened that the hotel that I was staying in, um, there was within walking distance, only one place to eat. And it happened to be, and it was a very large, well-known franchise, mm -hmm. not, not Jersey Mike's. I wish it was, but I walk in <laughs> and I'm the only person in there. There's one guy working behind the counter. So I walk right up to the counter. I'm looking at the menu and I know what I want. And he's there doing something, preparing something on the counter. I don't even want to say what he was doing because I would actually give it away where he works, but he's preparing something on the counter. And I'm standing there just waiting for him to acknowledge me. And I thought after about 30 seconds of saying hi, just to get his attention, but I'm just a couple feet away from him, 
right in front of them. And then I thought, well, I do this for a living. I travel around and I talk to co about customer service to companies. So I just want to see what happens here. So I just wait and wait and I'm timing it. It was over two minutes before he even acknowledges that I'm there. He just kept looking down, doing his thing. Without looking up, he says, can I help you? And I said, yes. And I told him what I wanted. And I, he didn't acknowledge that I even gave him, gave me my order. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually he makes the sub, he gives it to me. And I said, you know what, I'm going to eat in because it's either eat here or go at the hotel. But I want to see what happens with the very next person who walks in. I immediately thought about Jersey Mike's and other franchises like yours mm -hmm. and about how that would never happen. And maybe it's because your screening process and the yeah. fact that you do bring the right people. I, I, I spoke to a Navy SEAL not too long ago, and he talked about why they're successful. Mm -hmm. He says uh, there's there's three reasons. One is our selection process. You know, you can't just sign up and say, I want a franchise. I'm here. You have to be selected. Number two is the tools and the equipment that they have to do the job. But number three is the training and preparation. And those three things combine make it make that a winning culture you know our special forces and it sounds like you have a pretty similar process which is awesome yeah no and i love that i mean uh you know that's all that's that stuff right up my alley and, and love studying it and communicating it and passing it along and you know because again you, you people get so focused on the management side the tangibles and the numbers and they lose sight of you know we always say the customer is the purpose the dishes is your job meaning most of the managers and employees are interested in getting the job done and finishing the checklist and getting out early or, you know, taking care of the transaction. And that's the job, but the purpose is the customer. And if you don't take care of the purpose, you're not going to have dishes. And it's yeah. interesting using that one little analogy, you can see a young 15 or 16 year old, cause that employee that you, you saw, you know, he probably wasn't mentored. You know, he wasn't trained. Right. Right. Yeah. I couldn't blame him. I yeah, mean, he could, you could, could. <laughs> yeah, you could, but he's probably, yeah, just, he's the only one there. There's no one else. I go to Jersey Mike's, there's three people there. I go there or more. And uh, I'll tell you another story also about Jersey Mike's, which is uh, interesting. I forgot about this just before when I told you it was the first place I ate at. Um, I remember the very first time I stopped there, this was just after COVID, they were just doing everything. They were putting the, um, the tables and the, and the plastic and everything in place. Yeah. So I pull in and that's the first time I said, oh, they're open because I could see the cars in front and the doors. So I go to walk in and the guy says, uh, he goes, oh, we're closed right now. He was the guy doing uh, prepping it to reopen. I said, OK, I turn, I went to my car. I don't know if he was an employee of Jersey Mike's or the guy hired to put plastic up between the counter. But he runs out to my car. He says, hold on, hold on here. And he hands me two cards for free subs. Yeah. He goes, next time you come in, you could use these. Thank you for stopping by. I said, thank you. Yeah. I thought, I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome stuff right there. Yeah. And, and it makes me say, well, I can't wait to come back there. But, I've, but I'm not kidding you. I'm not saying this because you're on. I, I asked you to come on for this specific reason. You have a great culture. And I see it everywhere I go throughout the country. If it was only here in Tom's River, New Jersey, um, you know, I would know it only exists here. But what I do know from my traveling throughout the country is you guys are doing a fantastic job because everywhere I go in, I feel like I'm important. Right. You know, they talk to you about, about 
you for that moment and just pay attention to you. And I'm that famous guy, John, that when they say, would you like to use your points for this? I say, no, I'm going to keep accumulating them because I want to see how much yeah, I can yeah, get. How many, yeah. I'm yeah. going to wait. I'm going to wait till I could come in and get 12 free subs. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's what we do. I don't want to say it's simple, but it's in, it's right there in front of you. We don't, there's nothing to hide. And there's a glass and then three feet of counter. So whatever we're doing, you can mimic it to the, and it's just really, you know, being selective on who you bring onto your team. And then you, you said it as well, as far as you're, you know, bringing people through your ranks is that once you have your team, you know, nurture them, cultivate them, and then have them grow their replacements, which is scary in itself. But once you get them to realize that if they grow their replacements, not to get replaced, but to be able to move over or up, yeah. you, you get, you get buy-in. And I think really what, what a lot of, look, I, uh, hundreds of managers, you know, we do this week class here, as you know, five days uh, we, we do here in a row. And all these other brands are represented from these managers that work other places. And every brand talks about culture, but that's it. They don't back it up. And when people talk about what is it about culture, what is it about Jersey Mike's? I'm just do what you say. Don't say one thing and not do it. Just do what you say. And, and it's not about what you say, do it, you know? Yeah. And it's just amazing how many companies just don't, don't do what they say. I wrote this down just today and there's, there's two things I'll share with you uh, to wrap this up. And, mm -hmm. and one is uh, leadership requires three things. It requires vision. It requires communication and it requires action or a call to action. And, and like you said, just doing what you say. And the second thing I wrote down was it's not enough to do your best. You first have to know exactly what you're supposed to do and then do your best. You know, so it's not just, you know, I tried, I tried, I tried. Yeah, but did you try based on on the way that we've taught you on how to do it the right way? And, you know, it sounds like you guys have that all figured out, which is great. Well, and I love what you do. I mean, like I'm a big fan of your your books. Uh, I actually ordered two more because I gave away my uh, my one book. So I ordered two more yesterday. So they're coming in and um, I'm looking forward to. You, you're going to be coming out with some more stuff. I can't wait to see that. You first, I think it was on LinkedIn, you reached out to me, but you came across Paul Combs' book. Paul Combs, yeah. who's a, a very famous uh, uh, illustrator and artist. Yeah, he's fantastic. And <laughs> and then, but it was our calendar, drawn yep. by fire calendar, leadership traits, yep. step up and lead. And then, so you act, end up buying, and this is what's great about you being a student, you end up buying my book and Paul Combs' book. Yep. And, and now... Uh, we're working on a book together, a children's book, which should be out really in a couple of months. And it's really about inspiring kids from a young age, because Paul and I had this great conversation about what drives us. And what drives us is is just wanting to add value to people's lives. It's, it's really important. I mean, for me, like podcasting, this is a, a labor of love. It's a passion. What I did for many years is I interviewed people for books. And mm -hmm. I have tapes and tapes and tapes of interviews that I interviewed people for my books. And this time I said, you know what? I'm just going to interview people for fun and I'm going to let everybody listen to the conversations and learn from it. Yep. So there's no method to the madness. It's to me, it's it's like, I want to speak to John Hughes. I want to know more about Jersey Mike's and John's a great guy. So let me get him on. But 
but so I want to add value. Paul's the same way. Yeah. So, so we figured, well, why not try to add value to a five-year-old or a six-year-old's life or, or, or a four-year-old whose mom or dad can sit with them in this book and talk about, you know, this character who had to overcome negativity and self-doubt and challenges to become what they want to become. I don't want to give too much away. No, I'll tell you, Frank, I mean, you know, you think about, you know, a lot of these kids, young people running the sub shop. Yeah. And when we talk about that, you can see them kind of look down, maybe their shoulders are slumped. And then we say to them, yeah, but if you're doing this amount of bread, you're doing a million dollar business, say. So you're actually head of HR, shoulder goes up. You're head of finance, shoulder goes up. You're head of, you know, marketing. And they look around, they're like, I am. You know, building young people up today um, is, is, is needed. Um, and what you're doing is awesome. And, uh, you know, again, as a first responder, as you are, and, and um, being on the front lines, literally, you know, uh, carries a lot of weight. So your story definitely, uh, I love it. I love sharing it. I'm going to share it more now. I'm going get, to get it out, uh, get out to people and connect you with as many people as I can. Oh, sure. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah. And listen, this was a real treat for me. And as far as um, what you're doing, thank you for what you're doing, because it's not just about subs. It's not just, like you said, it's, it's about making people feel valued. Um, there was a time that I was running late and I shared the story with your uh, general managers that yeah. they came in. And I want to share this story with our listeners um, but there's a time I'm running late to go up and uh, do some training up in Bloomfield, New Jersey. And I was running late because I had a flat tire. Oh, but, as, but I get in my car yeah. and I usually get up there a half hour early. I find a bagel place and I grab a bagel, something to eat just before I go in there. And I just kind of review my PowerPoint presentation. Now I can't do that. But I, uh, I go into just a local place by me. I grab a quick um, to grab a quick bagel and a cup of tea for my ride. So what happens is as I walk in, there's a, a an, an older woman behind the counter. She, she knows the first two guys by name, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but I'm also thinking they're regulars. I'm not. And when I get up, she says, hi, what's your name? I tell her my name. She says, hi, Frank, how are you? I said, I'm doing great. How are you? She says, I'm doing great today. My name's so-and-so. I said, it's nice to meet you. What can I get you? I said, I'll, I'll take an everything bagel, toasted with cream cheese, and a small tea with honey. She makes my order. When she gives me my order, I say, uh, did you put the honey in, in the tea? She says, yeah. I said, uh, how many packets? She says, one. I said, can I get two more? She says, no problem. She gives me two more. I leave. The next morning, I wake up, even though my, my tire had gone to get uh, fixed, I wake up with a flat tire again. I go fill it up. I tell my wife, honey, I'm, you're going to have to bring this truck in to get this repaired again. I'll call them on the way. I'm running late. I grab the other car. I go in, grab another bagel at the same place. I walk in. The woman says to me, good morning, Frank. How are you? Yeah, okay. I said, I'm great. She says to me, would you like the usual? Now, John, I'm thinking... There's no way she knows. Yeah. What, like, I didn't know I have a usual. I, Jersey Mike's knows I have a usual. Yeah. He wants a number two Mike's way. Yeah. Nobody else knows I, I, I have a usual. So I said, uh, yeah, I'll take the usual. I want to see what I'm going to get. She goes, and everything bagel, toast with cream cheese, and a small tea with three packets of honey. I said, yeah. And next thing I know, I thought, that's, that's service. Yeah. That's service. It's what I get at your place. 
It's what I got at this particular place. And by the way, this is a very large franchise that I don't get that service anywhere else. Yeah. They just have somebody that if she's ever looking for a new job, I'm going to talk to your franchise owners about yeah, hiring no, her. No, and so and you know what? You deserve it. And I think that's part of it too, is in uh is that we deserve that and they deserve the gratitude back. And I'll bet you when you probably your personality when she did that, you looked at her and were very grateful and you probably elevated her up as well. Well, I, I went back a third time just to tell yeah. her that I tell her story. Yeah. You know, so it's not difficult for people to say a nice thing. Uh, if you happen to be a person leading a team, I think it's so important that you find a kind word for people. In your case, it could be the customer. It could be the worker that's standing right next to you. Yeah. But it's, it's so important that we do more of this in a world where people get beat down regularly. Oof. Yeah. You know, connections, you know, it's, uh, yeah. again, it's about connections, human connection, feeling appreciated. If a leader, um, appreciates his people, his people appreciate him. It's just reciprocal, you know, and, and man, you can just, it's just crazy what you can do when it, it just, again, I think I said earlier, it just amazes me to see business and people time again, putting their college kids, um, you know, money up and they got a great product and they got the best location in town. And then they just hire somebody to hire somebody and they don't select right. a person that can connect with other people. Because if that, if they can do that, I mean, that's what Mr. Hoffman did. And that's what, that's what Peter did. Yeah. They didn't invent the ice cream. He didn't, they didn't invent the sub. What Peter did was he, he decided who he was going to give the blue apron to. And that's what every great team has done. He, we're not just going to give you a, a Yankee uniform. You have to earn it, you know? Awesome. But John, thank you so much for yeah, coming here. on. Really appreciate it. I'm going to have you on ours too. Hey. Where I'm doing one uh, myself, uh, and I will have you on, and you know, right away. Um, oh, I, I'd be honored. You know, I, I'll jump at the opportunity. It'd be great to talk more about this stuff. But I appreciate you and everything you're doing, and your friendship, uh, yeah. which is great. So I'm sure we'll we'll stay in contact after this, and and I'll be happy to come on your show as well. But thank you for yeah. helping set this great culture, and for coming on and sharing with our listeners how to do it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.